Howdy, y'all. I recently rewatched the teen sex comedy Sex Drive for the first time since I saw it in theaters in 2008, and it was not what I remembered. On the surface level, it's about an 18-year-old boy going on a road trip with his friends, Felicia and Lance, in order to lose his virginity to a woman he met on the internet. However, watching it now, something about it feels incredibly queer. The main character, Ian, has a crush on his best friend, Felicia, who both put out this awkward 2008 baby bisexual energy. However, they both seem to be attracted to Lance. Lance was clearly written to be this peacocking, negging, pickup artist type, and he is constantly hooking up with women. However, instead of coming across as this archetypal douchebag, he seems sensitive, caring, and sexually open in ways that subvert expectations. As a result, Lance ends up feeling more like a soft butch trans lesbian than a fuckboy. This, combined with the undefinable queerness of Lance, Ian, and Felicia's friendship, makes this movie a really interesting watch. So let me tell you why I think Lance from Sex Drive is totally trans. I'm Ava Smart, a comedian, podcaster, vinyl nerd, and trans woman, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Henry Jardina. I'm a writer, a critic, and a trans guy. My pronouns are he, they. And I am Ada Rhodes Short, an activist, academic engineer, and queer trans woman whose pronouns are she, her. This is Totally Trans, Searching for the Trans Canon, where we talk about some of the most well-known figures from film, literature, and media. And tell you why we think they deserve to be part of the trans cultural canon. This week, we're talking about Lance from the 2018 movie Sex Drive, which is currently available on Netflix. But first, here's some context. Since Sex Drive is our first official foray into 21st century media, and also because it's extremely online, let's talk for a minute about the context the film came out of. In terms of internet culture, 2008 feels extremely close and also decades away. In 2010, just two years after Sex Drive's release, Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman's documentary Catfish brought the concept of online dating, quote, scams to the forefront, spawning a hugely successful MTV documentary series that showcased the vulnerable men, women, and sometimes trans folks who found a second life on the internet. Around the same time as Sex Drive's release, there was a huge sea change happening in American comedy. After about two decades of American Pie-esque sex comedies that prioritize teen gross-out humor and toxic masculinity, a series of smaller indie films started to emerge that cast a different light on 21st century manhood. With 2007's Knocked Up, which reintroduced Seth Rogen to the world as a lovable, neurotic schlub, and Lynn Shelton's 2009 hit Hump Day, which concerned two male best friends attempting to make a porno together, Comedy began to turn inward, focusing on men's insecurities and fears for comic fodder rather than trading on male swagger and bravado for laughs. These films didn't just introduce a new, far less homophobic and transphobic sense of male identity to the masses, they established new creators, such as the Duplass brothers and Judd Apatow, who were making work that wasn't afraid to question the macho pose of masculinity that, for so long in the movies, remained unquestioned. In Sex Drive, online dating is seen as suspicious and untrustworthy, and ultimately the film proves this thesis to be true. Several characters in the film tell Ian that he has no way of knowing who he's really talking to, and one time it veers into transphobic territory. The movie does avoid a harmful Ace Ventura-style twist, 
but it does allude to trans people as deceivers, and it definitely drifts with fat phobia, misogyny, and homophobia. Also, the film presents the struggle of its main character, Ian, to lose his virginity as essentially a bid to stay, quote, normal and acceptable within the confines of 21st century masculinity. The gratuitous dick and ball humor, of course, is also a result of the partnership of director Sean Anders and screenwriter John Morris, who would team up for many other sexteen farces and weird ensemble pieces, including 2010's Hot Tub Time Machine and She's Out of My League, and 2011's Mr. Popper's Penguins. In the Anders Morris universe, cis women are thong-wearing temptresses who live to torment men with their sexuality, while cis men are hapless idiots who can never perform their masculinity to the satisfaction of other men in their lives. Fathers, brothers, friends, etc. We see this on full display in Sex Drive, where the quest for sex becomes something more than a wacky teen road trip. It offers our characters a chance to learn about who they are and what makes them men, women, or an identity that falls somewhere in between. In light of this, I don't think I'm far off in calling Sex Drive one of the first true coming-of-age comedies in the post-American pie landscape. Coming spelled, of course, C-U-M-M-I-N-G. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From an academic perspective, an important theme in this movie, and most teen comedies, is friendship. And looking at it now as a person who was a queer teen in 2008, it was really hard to not read the three main characters as closeted queer kiddos who haven't quite figured it out yet. This is a common experience for a lot of young queer folks. This is a common experience for a lot of queer young folks of forming friendships with other queer kids before you all put the pieces together and come out. I tried my best to find an academic term to describe this experience and came up short. So for this episode, we will use latent homosocialization to describe the unconscious drive of young queer folks to seek out queer platonic relationships and community, even if we don't know that's what we're doing. In addition to the theme of latent homosocialization, there is a running motive of aughts era online culture and early social social media throughout the film. These online spaces are where a lot of trans people started to first find community and self-understanding, though not always in the healthiest environments. And this actually has been studied and published on. University of Virginia Women and Gender Studies professor Andre Cavalcante looks at this through an ethnographic lens in his 2015 paper, I Did It All Online, Transgender Identity and the Management of Everyday Life. He says... For transgender individuals who live in a world created without them in mind, the affordances of online counterpublics and care structures help them manage the trials and complexities of everyday life. At the same time, contemporary digital media environments introduce new risks and liabilities for transgender individuals. This paper is really great and chronicles the trans community and socialization in both pre- and post-internet age, and I'll link to it in the episode description. Cavalcante describes online trans spaces as counterpublics, or alternative public spaces that cater to marginalized and disenfranchised groups. He specifically mentions the forum Susan's Place, which popped up in the mid-90s. For trans women of a certain vintage, we all inevitably ended up on Susan's Place while trying to Google things like how to become a girl. And while a lot of people found some helpful advice or resources there, some people also had negative experiences or uncomfortable interactions with older trans women who bought into some of the gatekeeping and antiquated ideas about transness laid out by the transsexual memoirs of Christine Jorgensen and Lily Elba. 
Cavalcante, however, avoided talking about some of the more teen-oriented counterpublic spaces that could be found on edgy image boards like 4chan, but were not terribly safe or community-minded, and in the last decade have gone from edgy teens posting memes to literal fascism. Part of the appeal that made these spaces at least somewhat attractive at the time was the lack of moderation and the ability to post things that were not permissible on MySpace. For example, I was posting a picture of myself on a trans slash cross-dressing channel when I was 16 or 17 and saw a picture of one of my friends from my church youth group and then immediately texted her, lol, is this you? She then pointed out that the only way I would have seen that is if I was on a trans forum and we agreed not to talk about it again for several years. However, we have now both come out. In recent years, there has been a proliferation of more supportive and healthier trans communities online, in addition to places like trans subreddits, which can offer everything from early transition tips to memes. There are also countless Facebook groups and large trans communities on places like Twitter, Tumblr, and many other social media platforms that I am way too old to understand. So, Henry and Ava, did you find any trans community and online counterpublic spaces as a teen? I have a one word answer. No, <laughs> literally uh, zero. I I think I was slightly too old. Like I used LiveJournal at 16, but I was not able to sort of conceive of transness. I knew that I was trans, but I thought of it in completely different terms that like alienated me from actual trans people because I was like, oh, no, that's not what I am. I'm like a completely different, like weird thing that nobody talks about. So, yeah, I, I found like creepy old men wanted to hit on me on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> I did not find any community, sadly. Ava, what about you? I don't, I wouldn't call it community. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, so I didn't really have an idea that online communities existed. I was a MySpace kid, though, so I was on a lot of very inappropriate MySpace pages. Like, even MySpace had the good sense to take down, you know, us 14, 15 year old scene kids posting pretty much naked pictures, even though it's like, ooh, we're covering nipples or whatever. And so it wasn't explicitly like trans communities, but it, there was a lot of gender fuckery going on, like in that whole scene kid movement or whatever, right? Which was where I kind of first experimented with makeup. So I kind of had a little bit of it there. But, you know, I was beyond Susan's place. I never had any explicit like contact with other trans people via the internet. Unless I kind of how this movie uh, not so delicately proposes had contact with it without knowing. So here's a brief summary of Sex Drive. Ian is an 18-year-old boy who is still a virgin. Even though that's actually not weird at all and totally fine, everyone in his life from his homophobic asshole, really cute older brother, <laughs> to his perv of a younger brother, thinks that Ian is failing to be a man. But between Ian's wet dreams, his humiliating job at a donut stand in the mall, and his shitty toxic family, it's a typical teenage dirtbag life. One thing that makes him feel confident, sexy, and manly is his online relationship with a woman named Miss Tasty, who lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. Ian has two best friends, Lance, a boastful, sexually successful teen boy with butch trans dyke vibes, and Felicia, a sardonic scene girl that Ian has been crushing on forever. When the opportunity arises to take a road trip to Tennessee at the behest of Miss Tasty herself, the three head out using Ian's older brother's car, a 1969 GTO Judge, which he stole. So what do you two think about the characters in this opening act and how we're introduced to them? What were your initial impressions? 
I mean, it it's the uh, almost first scene, you know, it, just after the first scene when like Ian and his older brother are introduced to us, right where Ian wakes up after having a wet dream and is thrown his cum-filled underwear at the door and the older brother just like burst in and it's just like, Ian, wake up, faggot. Ian, wake up, faggot. Judge rolls in 20, so if you want to ride to work, you better get your poop in a group. Okay, I'll be right down. No, now, Clay Aiken. All right. No, now, homo. Just give me a minute. No, 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 no. Now, sissy. Like it's just, it just like sets the tone for everything that's about to happen pretty quickly. At this point, you still haven't been given a view into like either their lives. And so prima facie, you're like, oh, okay, it's going to be one of these movies. I'm going to grit my teeth the whole way through because bad tactless gay jokes the whole time. But you don't realize that the bad tactless gay jokes are just going to keep building and building on each other to this beautiful critique of homophobia. <laughs> but yeah, at the first part, you're just like, yeah, I just, okay. Plus, he just looks hot in that tank top when he walks in and says that, like, I've, I've gotten off to stuff like that before, you know? Where it's just like, and that's how I get woken up. Like, oh no, not my older brother coming in and doing this again. I did not realize that was James Marsden until way after the fact. And I believe at one point in the script, I refer to him as a big lots Sean William Scott, which I stand behind because <laughs> in this movie, he's 100% a Stifler archetype who's like doing it, but obviously pales in comparison to yeah. the actual Stifler. It's wild that James Marsden plays the older brother because this wasn't early in his career and he wasn't struggling. Like, Enchanted and Hairspray had just come out. This is way after the X-Men movies. He, like, had a very established, successful career. This was a very interesting choice for him. He nails the role for what it's worth. But what a strange career choice. Very odd. Yeah, it's effectively a B-movie, I think, just by virtue Mm. of the fact that none of the actors, except James Marsden, really seem to have been established. And Amanda Crew obviously would, like, go on to have a huge career. But yeah, it's it was odd to see him in that. But I also think (laughs) I felt really bad for Ian. Like, Ian's basically the one character in this movie that I can somewhat identify with. Just kind of the dream of him, like, getting his dick sucked while he's bench pressing was like so hilarious cis man that I was just like, like it made such perfect sense in how stereotypical it was. But it's also so sad because it's like what cis men have to go up against to like believe that their their gender makes me really depressed. Like they're always, it's always being threatened to be taken away by homophobia or whatever. I was just like, oh fuck, poor Ian. Can this man get some privacy and some, I don't know, like good siblings in his life who don't like harass him? Yeah, at, at minimum, a room that he doesn't have to share with his, like, 14-year-old yeah. brother that's getting yeah. his dick sucked Gross. by, like, his co-worker. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just like, ooh, damn. No. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think you're right that talking about all the stereotypes that are kind of present in this movie, I think this is a movie that kind of benefits from and leans into stereotype, right? As opposed to it just being a teenage sex romp that incidentally embraces stereotype where it's just horribly homophobic without even being self-aware of it like this is a movie that turns towards those stereotypes in order to build the reality that these little queerdo kids you know find themselves in starting with that entrance (laughs) it's so wrong it's there's no good way around it but it's so right i don't know i think he took that role intentionally like if i'm james and i'm reading scripts and i'm trying to find something to do and i've done enchanted and i've done x-men all these people are and i've done hairspray and people are sending me all these roles you know he got sent 
like some queer sadness porn scripts right where it's just like hey we need you to play a gay guy that suffers he's like actually you know what i think i'm gonna play a gay guy who doesn't know he's gay yet like i'm gonna do the opposite of what everyone thinks like it's it's a really well written little part he steals the show yeah yeah what did you two think about lance when we're initially introduced to lance what were your first impressions just the eggiest egg just like all the eggness just like let me make some eggnog out of you egg right like you can't like you show me like those belts that lance wears like those like you show me a soft butch dyke and i'll show you somebody who has some of those rope belts that he wears the whole time or has coveted a rope belt at one point in their life there's no way around it my initial lance's transness was just based off of the way that lance walks and dresses i was just like that's a trans girl i don't know how or why it but it just was it just feels right Well, interestingly, like our last two episodes where we talked about books that were adapted into movies that erased queerness, this is actually adapted from a book in which Lance is very much supposed to be like more of a macho ladies man pickup artist type that they, I guess, tried to go for here. But I'm not sure if intentionally or unintentionally subverted by like this very (laughs) soft portrayal of this sensitive character. And then the fashion, instead of seeming like peacocking over the top pickup artist is just like, oh, that's a lot of like micro printed button ups. (laughs) Like this is some very dykey clothing choices. A lot of ascots. Yeah. I'm like a lot of ascots. I'm pretty sure Mysterio, that pickup dude never even wore an ascot. It's beyond peacocking. There's some genuine interest there in that piece of fashion. It's also notable that when we see Lance... They are in a store called in the mall called Mantasy. <laughs> and Lance is being very deliberate about clothing choices to sort of like the dismay of the cis female attendant who I think is very surprised by like my sense is that like she deals with men all day long who are like, I don't know, like I want a tie, whatever. And then Lance comes in and is like this one and this one and very like specific and she's like, Oh, sick! Someone who takes it seriously. Yeah, and at one point he's like, Look, I know you're trying to give me suggestions but it's a little try hard like i know what i'm doing he's like do you know how long i had to work to find clothes i feel comfortable in i don't i don't need your help right now just bring me the things i want yes very victoria's secret dressing room energy where there's always Mm -hmm. like an 85 year old lady who wants you to try on the grossest bra and you're like please leave me alone madam i can i can decide for myself Yeah, the next time we see Lance is talking to Ian when he's got the big dick on the outside of his donut costume. Someone stuck a giant dildo to the outside of his donut costume, which poor Ian, but also definitely something I would have done if there had been a mall in my hometown as a a teenager. That's just a good prank. That's just a wholesome prank. Wholesome dick prank. Yeah, because he walks up to a child and he's like, hey, I've got something tasty for (laughs) you. I'm just going to be up front now. I fucking love this movie for all of the wrong reasons and some good ones. I'm a sucker for early 2000s raunchy comedies that are just bad. Like, I like the way you characterize it as a solid B movie. It's like, yeah, it's a really solid B movie that was, like, made in an era and, like, through weird casting choices became something it never was intended to be. On the road, the kids head into a fair amount of trouble, including Lance hooking up with a sexually adventurous cashier named Brandy, which results in a naked cornfield chase, a broken down radiator that they have to pee on to make it work again, and an impromptu rumspringa party and Fallout Boy concert they happen upon after being towed by Seth Green, a deadpanning Amish man named Ezekiel. 
At this party, Lance meets Mary, an Amish girl that he immediately falls for, but doesn't want to leave her community for him. So at this point, I think we should talk a little bit about Lance and the way he relates to women throughout the text, because he's supposed to be like this pickup artist character, but he seems to actually have a lot of like emotional connection to these women pretty much immediately and then gets very intimate with them in a way that you wouldn't expect for somebody that would just be kind of like, oh, like, yeah, I pump them and dump them type douchebag. What did you two think about Lance's interactions with a cashier at the gas station and with Mary? Well, I think they're two completely different things, right? Like the interaction with Mary and the Amish girl is it's its own cottagecore fantasy altogether, right? Like, Lance is like seeing like, oh, my my big city life doesn't really have everything. But like, if I could just have a nice cottage with this girl, like we could live our cottagecore lesbian fantasies, right? You know, that's where I think reality starts to encroach a little too closely on Lance. Before that, with Brandy, the uh, gas station cashier, Lance reads to me like what a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of trans women, because that's such a generalizing statement. What some trans women I see do especially when they're younger like kind of what i did which is like you feel like you have such an understanding of like the experience of women and an empathetic point for that but you end up using and kind of manipulating that into being with them and seducing them to like reinforce this artifice of masculinity that you have you use your like emotional empathy and things like that to keep yourself protected even without being completely disingenuous and i think that's what lance does a lot lance genuinely does care that this gas station cashier's husband cheating on her or whatever, right? But at the same time, sees an opportunity to use that caring to like reinforce this I'm a pickup artist swagger as a way of running away from his own transness and protecting himself from the societal abuse that he sees people like his friend Ian go through. Well, and it kind of reminded me of like Shane from The L Word. It wasn't like a prototypical fuckboy approach to picking up women, which we Mm -hmm. actually do see with two delightful side characters, which are like these little twinky adore like these twinky boys who are disasters and i love but they're very much like more sexually aggressive versus lance's moves would be things that you'd expect like shane on the l word to do where it's like oh shane's gonna like approach this straight woman who's in a really bad relationship hold emotional space for her for like two seconds and that'll be like very genuine emotional space and then have really wild sex for some remaining chunk of the episode before her husband comes home yeah that Actually, paralleling Shane and Lance shines light on why I dislike Lance so much, because I fucking hate Shane so much as a character. I find Shane to be the most boring. Like, in the same way that I find Kristen Stewart to be so boring and everyone else on the fucking planet loves... I'm just like, I might as well stare at wallpaper for two hours. Like, I don't... This is so boring. And I think, yeah, I... find it and this has also bothered me a lot about Shane in the L word where it's like very deceitful because it's like you're just being an asshole to these women like and you're acting like it's okay because you're female and it's shitty I'm just kind of like I feel like Lance manipulates women he uses Felicia to manipulate Mary and his reason for not responding to Felicia's feelings for him is out of loyalty to Ian which gave me a very like bros before hoes vibe and I was like ew fuck you like why do you think you can trade this woman between you it's gross like I just yeah I was skeeved out by Lance for a good part of the movie. I, I kind of picked this movie because Lance isn't like a very like endearing trans character, right? Like I thought that this was like an interesting 
one, Lance isn't explicitly trans. Like, this is all just hearsay of, like, I'm, pr- I fucking think that motherfucker's trans, right? But two, it's like, yeah. it shows, it shows these three kids that we all kind of feel are queer and having this latent, the homo socialization, but it shows it within the very real context of, like, 2008. So, like, a lot of gay and queer movies are just sadness porn. It's like, hey, do you want to watch this person suffer, right? This movie is kind of like, hey, what if we took people and put them in the exact same situations, right? With the fat phobia, the racism, the transphobia, the homophobia, all that. But we don't make it sadness porn and we we use the stereotypes of these things and build like a teen sex comedy around it. It shows a very kind of real toxic reality that the three of them are just trapped in. We see them in this one little vignette before hopefully they all go off to college and discover themselves and become better emotionally open people. But I think that's why Lance is such an interesting trans character is because it's, he's really kind of like gross in a lot of ways, right? But to me, that's why he's so interesting that's- and why I love laughing at this movie. Like it's such, I just like laughing at things that are inherently a little wrong. There are various misadventures involving a car race, a carnival, an abstinence pledge, and a dentist, and eventually the kiddos end up in jail. However, they are soon bailed out by Mary the Amish girl and free to complete their journey to sexual manhood. Although Ian wants to lose his virginity to Miss Tasty, his feelings for Felicia leave him in doubt. When the time comes for Ian to actually meet up with Miss Tasty, he reluctantly does so, finding out that Tasty's interests in him are actually part of a carjacking scheme, which is honestly much better than some lazy transphobic punchline. In her scheme, she works with her boyfriend to seduce young men and then leaves them at the side of the road taking their car. Once again, we have to respect the hustle. After Ian is left naked and alone, he sees Felicia sticking her head out of the back window, concerned for his safety. She had a hidden in the car go with him and make sure that he would be okay. She also conveniently heard Ian reject Miss Tasty because he's in love with someone else, obviously her. On the way to the next scam, Miss Tasty returns to the parking lot in front of the motel where the teens are staying, including Lance and Mary. In the world's most sapphic motel room, there is a huge showdown, a slow-motion cat fight set to Ario's speed wagons, can't fight this feeling anymore, and a sequence in which Ian, wearing a foam donut suit from work, comes into his own and stops being a pussy by shooting a man with a gun. Pew pew! Having come of age, he finally tells Felicia what's up, and several months later, when they are both ready, they have sex. Also, the homophobic brother comes out as gay. We finally found out what's been up his ass all these years. I'm gay. And, uh, so that's it. And Lance decides to become Amish. But as we find out in the final credits sequence, he keeps using the internet on the sly and is maybe not doing the best at embodying an Amish life. Latent homosocialization is a running theme throughout this. And presumably these three characters are going to go off to be much happier, healthier humans in their mid-20s after they've all come out and gone through like those disastrous first couple of years after you come out where you make a lot of questionable choices. Did you experience any latent homosocialization and how did that sort of come about in your life either as a queer person in general or specifically through trans experiences? I'll go. Hi, my name's Ava and I'm a homosexual. (laughs) 
Oh, no, but I, I, I mean, I guess I ran into that, right? But I grew up in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't like a safe way to be gay or queer in any way, shape, or form, really. Uh, even to smell of it opened you up to a lot of bullying and violence. So all of my homo socialization was latent, you could say, right? Like it really took me moving to Austin, Texas to be able to experience that. And then once I did, yeah, you know, even when I was growing up in my small ass hometown, I was constantly online, like trying to find gay people on Craigslist, <laughs> looking for gay people. And moving to a big city was the first thing, you know, you look for. You want to be around people that are like you, especially in the early 2000s, right? When this movie was made, at least in Bonham, not a lot of the people I grew up with ended up coming out. I don't think I had the experience that these kids had where I like secretly and unknowingly found a bunch of like queer kids. It was like, no, just friends with like a bunch of boring old straight people. <laughs> what about you, Henry? I only really have, I mean, I'm pathetic in the fact that like I only started making like actual queer and trans friends like three years ago because I just like am a very acquired taste and I don't have a lot of friends in general. There are maybe five people on earth who can stand me. But the one very sad example of this that I do have is in middle school and high school. I had a friend. We weren't that close, but I wanted to know this person more and was really like interested in them and like had a crush on them for a long time. And then years later, like in 2015 or so, she came out as a trans woman and we met up in New York. And then last year, last August, she was actually killed biking and she was hit by a truck and she died instantaneously. And yeah, it's super sad, fucked me up a lot. And we only kind of got that one chance to talk. And within that chance, I didn't want to like push it. I didn't kind of want to go deep and like ask her all these questions about like, oh, like, what were you thinking? And blah. I was like, oh, we have time to explore that. And now, of course, we don't have that time. So yeah, it's it's a sad thing that happened. I'm sorry you know? to hear that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What about you, yeah. Ada? Yeah. Did you yeah. have any experience with that? I guess kind of in both. So I started coming out in one way or another pretty young. Like, I think I first told one of my best friends when we were in like sixth grade that I'm like, I have a crush on Johnny Depp. And I don't know what that means for me. Then I was like more kind of in the process of starting to come out in like ninth grade. And then I lost my virginity like pretty, yeah, like after the first day of summer after ninth grade, kind of like immediately came out and yeah, was with a, a boy basically immediately. And then a girl shortly after, and then just kind of spent 10 years being like, I'll figure this out eventually. Throughout all of that, I think partially because I was sort of more out than a lot of my peers. I also went to like a very large high school, very liberal high school that I have a lot of friends who have since come out. My best friend since we were like in seventh grade, I guess the summer before seventh grade, we met at theater camp, has since come out. A lot of my other friends have since come out. So I experienced a lot of latent homosocialization where it was just like, oh, I was actually in a queer community all along. It's just that a lot of those other people didn't really come out till much later. Because of that, one other thing that was interesting, having been more out in a context where not really a lot of other people were, but there were just a lot of people statistically. I went to a really big high school with thousands of students. I had a lot of like what I assumed was going to be heteronormative socialization between buds that very quickly became like sexual experimentation with other classmates and friends, which was interesting. So I think it's really interesting that we all had like very different experiences around this coming from like three very different contexts. I'm also very, very extroverted. So I'm very good about going out and like making friends in queer community, which is just a thing I do a lot very proactively. 
Yeah, you're out making friends. Is that what kids are calling it these days? I'm really good at making <laughs> friends with people. I just like to make a lot of friends. <laughs> we like, sometimes I make best friends. Like, sometimes I make friends with people like two, three times in a night, you know? I mean, it's not a bad euphemism. <laughs> it's not. There you go. Why does Lance feel so dikey? <laughs> Yo, it's the fucking, you can't wear those clothes and that, those glasses and not be dyke. It's just, it's, it's real hard to, like, especially those clothes either belong on like an 80 year old gay man or like a soft butch lesbian. He dresses like an old gay dude that only shops at Neiman Marcus, right? And it's like, why'd you pay $400 for that shit Paisley shirt? You could have gone to a thrift store. That, I don't, to me, that's why it reads as dykey. It's a very, yeah. I don't know, in my judging of this movie, I was trying to embrace the spirit of the movie and be as, like, stereotypical as possible. That feels like the spirit it should be judged in. Yeah. Um, also, you, Lance feels dykey because Lance does that little, like, just the top hands in the pocket walk, right? It's like, I don't see many people besides Dykes doing that, right? Like, we're just like, I'm just going to casually do walk through the mall in my paisley shirt with my rope belt and my faux Dolce & Gabbana thick-sided glasses and just stick the tops of my hands in my pockets as I hit on girls. Like, that's yeah, some yeah. beautiful baby Dyke stuff. If this movie was remade today, you could just recast Lance's character as a girl and it would totally work because it's just, like, very much this, like, soft witch lesbian vibe. Another yeah. thing I thought was interesting in the context of what would have been, like, two episodes ago, that, like, strange attraction thing that we talked about with Holly Golightly, where there's something, like, alluring that people can't quite describe. We have some of that with Lance, where Lance isn't at least shown visually in, like, the tropes of, like, being super hot. Like, we, like, doesn't have, like, six-pack abs or something. But everyone seems to be attracted to Lance, including both Ian and Felicia have a moment where Ian's like, listen, I know you're attracted to Lance. I'm attracted to Lance, which is just like very interesting that Ian's like, yeah, Lance is hot. Mm -hmm. I can't explain why, which I also feel like is very trans is just being hot in a way that cis people fail to necessarily be able to describe when really what it is, is it's like, oh, no, I'm just inherently hot. I'm a hot girl. That's yeah. what it is. That's why you're attracted to me. Doing hot girl shit. Yeah. Doing hot girl shit. Going that's to what, the mall. That's what Lance is doing. Yeah. Mantisy, hot girl shit. Capital of that mall. Hi, lovelies. So it's time for that part of the episode where we thank the people who have backed us at $5 or more a month on Patreon. One of the first big things we want to do with that money is hire someone to help us with the editing because we're still figuring it out. And that'll be super helpful. So uh, this week, our new backers are Callie G, who is actually my one of my best friends, Joe, uh, who's a drag queen that performs under the name Callie G. Thank you so much. Um, so Callie G is like one of my best friends, and I would go on a big gay road trip with her any day of the week. So yeah, love you. I'd still be your friend if you didn't give me money, but the money helps. Also, seriously, call me. Let's actually go on a road trip. Anywho, this next person I don't know. Thank you, Claudia Darling. We would drive across the country for you. And thank you, Amber Mum, who is as cool, if not cooler, than a 1969 GTO judge. So thank you, everyone who backed us. We really appreciate it. Also, we have a new bonus content episode on the Patreon this week, where if you back us at any of the levels that get the bonus content, which I'm pretty sure is all of the levels, then you can get the extra unrated content because Sex Drive had extra 
unrated content that you could get in the non-theatrical version. I haven't seen that. But yeah, we had extra conversation with Ava because she's delightful and we really enjoyed talking with her. So we put it up on Patreon. So if you want to hear us talk about more things that are less directly related to the episode, but still related to you, Sex Drive, and are just fun and queer, then please check out the bonus episode. We think you'll really like it. Also, there's some other really great bonus episodes. Anywho, that's all. Thank you. Also, can I just say, while we're on the subject of this mall, the guacamole donut that's being sold at Senior Donut, where Ian works, I'm curious. I'd like to try it. I don't have high hopes, but I'd eat it. I don't know if I I'd eat it. it from Senior Donut, but I could for sure see somewhere like an awesome, like, hey, come pay $14 for our guac oh, yeah. donut. In LA? Like, 112 percent yeah. yes people lined up around the block like oh my it's only 14 dollars for a guacamole this is steel <laughs> it's a steel oh my god but i also and it's interesting to hear you both sort of reference lance's body language as being like a big factor in his transness dykeness i sort of weirdly like identified this as being a minor class difference i was like Oh, Lance is the kid who has a little bit of money. And that's like, I got like Richie Rich vibes. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like Ian has to like humiliate himself at the fucking donut shop. Meanwhile, this asshole is buying shirts at some fancy ass place. And like, why do you need to be buying nice clothes when you're 16 and just like a wad of dough? Like, also, it's weird that the fat phobia of the movie does not touch Lance at all. Yeah. That to me, I was like. Why Why would this be? So I have a theory about that. Okay, so James Mardson, like the infamous no fat chicks, uh, <laughs> like, right, like license plate. And I'm like, okay, that's that's horrible and wrong. But what it doesn't say is no fat dudes. Like maybe once he comes out, like his license plate says only fat dudes. It's another one of those like performative like things of masculinity, right? And I think it doesn't touch Lance because James's character like wants to fuck Lance. Like on some level, I think he recognizes Lance as part of his own queer community. And so he's like, yeah, no fat chicks because it's an easy thing for me to say. And like, uh, I can technically not be lying when I say that. And some part of me dies every time I lie. So I'm not going to lie when I say no fat chicks, but it's really a loophole because I'm gay. Like there's a scene where they try and get the key to the judge initially. And like he comes into the garage and sees them to Ian. He like does like this, like kind of one of those like, oh, make you flinch like movements. But he doesn't do it to Lance. And I think that's because James sees Lance as some sort of equal where he's like I gotta mess with Ian because he's a dude my brother but like you're cool you're one of you're going through enough I can already see the struggle inside you there I'm doing the same thing and adding to that is just like a (laughs) tiny thing because Ava and I when we watched it the first time separately and then we like watched it together and we paused and read all of the comments over the end credits There's someone who comments like, oh, I lost my virginity to Lance. And the username is different, but it's the same user profile picture that they used for James Marsden's character. (laughs) I'm assuming just kind of lazy production because the username was different. But I really like the idea that that Lance was like part of like James Marsden's character's like sexual exploration, which is also, I think, like a very trans thing. I know that's an experience I've had where a lot of people, especially when I was a teen, kind of used my ambiguous gender performance, even though I, looking back, I looked like Cameron Esposito in high school. It was unintentional. (laughs) I wore a lot of vests. But yeah, a lot of people kind of used that ambiguity as a way to explore their own sexuality. And I feel like that's one potential way you can read 
those interactions as well. It's not just some sort of queer solidarity, but then also potentially that there was a relationship and you can just read that into it and no one can stop you. I liked what you pointed out about like the class difference between like Ian and Lance and how like Lance's mannerisms kind of do affect a bit of that difference because, but I think, I think what's interesting about it, Lance is, has the money and is trying so hard to perform this masculinity, but in doing so, he actually builds out his transness like he has all the means available to him to dress however he wants and this is how you pick to dress and this is how you feel like you should walk when you have the whole world available to you oftentimes you end up revealing your truest self as opposed to like being able to let your class almost hide a bit of who you are because you don't have the means to clothe yourself in any way possible but I thought that was a really like good point to bring out because we do see him in a very high end shop with his like douchebag like business dad right yeah his parents are not I don't think like they're busting into Lance's room and the way that Ian has no fucking privacy ever. Mm -hmm. But also interesting to point out, since this was something that viscerally just like brought me back in a very shitty way, 2008 fashion, which I think I was like a sophomore in college, but like 2006 to 2008 fashion was so fucking gendered. Like when you think about actual eras of fashion, 2000 to 2010, I think of as being like aggressively, this is how you dress if you're a woman. You have the super fucking low rise, like Britney jeans and the belt loops and a thong that's like pulled up over your thing and like a belly shirt. And if you're a guy, like cargo shirts and a t-shirt, like there's zero in between. So it is notable that Lance has sort of tried to like etch out like a somewhat genderqueer aesthetic in a time when that was not a fucking option. It's like you either get lip gloss. Yeah. Or you get Nike sneakers and that's it. Yeah, he came really, he did a really good job at finding that and at hitting that spot. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. a good point. Yet, the 2000s fashion for me was like a, was peak laziness time for dudes, right? Like every other kind of like point in fashion history, there's been a way for dudes to really try hard if they wanted to do it. And like the only way to do that in the early 2000s was to get labeled a metrosexual, which is what I think Lance definitely would have been labeled, right? Like the whole thing like where it's like, hey, if you even care a little bit about yourself, you might be a bit of a fag and like, so we're going to call you a metrosexual. Like that was just the mentality. And so it really established this norm of, yeah, dudes should actively not try hard when it comes comes to their like appearance which is why i think james mardson's like wardrobe throughout the whole thing is so good because he literally wears like fucking breakaways or sweatpants and a sleeveless t-shirt the entire time where it's just like i care so little about what i wear i'm only wearing because like i'm not fucking gay even though he has frosted tips (laughs) right yeah right like this was the era of in sync and yes like oh those nice straight boys with their frost building on that just how do you two see sort of the films of performative masculinity playing out in this we see ian contrasted with his brother played by james marsden rex which is such a gay name name. (laughs) we also have like the twinkie boys that i adored and were my favorite part of the movie and display different type of masculinity and then we have that all sort of contrasted against lance It's an interesting movie in terms of masculinity, I think, because like, for me, this is like an exemplary movie of that era where, yeah, it was just teen boys, like ejaculation jokes, like teen boys walking in the mall and like a girl walks by and like the milkshake explode. Like, it kind of reminds me of that, like Fountains of Wayne video, that kind of humor. And I'm just like, this is so depressing. Like, this must have been such a depressing time to be male because literally, yeah, you can't be the slightest bit gay. You can't be the slightest bit queer or even stylish or even vulnerable or sad or whatever. Like, 
like none of that is on the table. You literally just have to be like Stifler from American Pie, or you're not male. Yeah, there's something else. It that's bad. Sucked as someone who did it. I, 2008. I was like a sophomore in high school, and it blew because I was all of the things you mentioned. <laughs> Sad. How could you not be here. in 2008? Yeah. Like you know, and I, what's what's really interesting that about like the portrayal of masculinity in this. Like I don't know. I'm a vinyl nerd. It's like I said that in my little intro, but it, this movie really evokes the vinyl nerd music nerd side of me because it it feels like kind of like a proto something band where it's this movie that was between two genres of the teen sex romp comedies of the early early 2000s and then like i'm pretty sure super bad came out not long after this if not the same year and because they were kind of like rivals in a way and super bad took off in popularity but it did what sex drive was trying to do but in a different way where it really played with those ideas of masculinity but it showed the true like hey do you want to see like three fucking nerds like hang out and talk how they probably fucking talk when they hang out and be nerdy and yeah but it doesn't do because it gives like so many different portrayals of stereotypical masculinity like i feel like they probably read the book and again, this movie is a product of odd casting. Like, if you'd gotten, like, a young 18, 19-year-old Zac Efron Lance, it's a fundamentally different movie, right? With somebody that, like, has, like, a bit better, like, a traditional aesthetic or, like, is more, like, traditionally attractive. It changes that. And, but you're, Ian's supposed to be, I feel like, your good boy center who's just trying to, like, move along and is constantly bounced between these different ideas of what dudes should be. But they are yeah. all such a beautiful little time capsule, like you said, of just the worst yeah. era to be a guy in a lot of ways. At least in the 80s, you had a lot of in post-70s androgyny with, like, the new wave and scene and stuff. Yeah, you had George Jerry Michael, Pearls you had and, yeah. uh, Culture Club. Yeah, and also, it's interesting how the film sort of creates Ian's attraction to Felicia and, like, desire to be with her as sort of, like, on, on the surface, it's sort of like, oh, this is a problem, this is getting in the way of his masculinity, re-losing his virginity to Miss Tasty, and, like, we don't want him to have these feelings. And it reminded me of this, like, 50s movie called Tea and Sympathy, which is a very weird, like, the play was about a gay boy in, like, a boys' school being basically just ostracized and called a fag and being treated horrible, and this older woman takes him in. And in the movie version, because it was Hollywood, they basically change it to, like, no, he's a straight guy. He just, he needs to have romantic feelings in order to have sex. And everyone is like, what a <laughs> pussy, man! What a fu- Oh, you need to feel something? Like, it's just, like, the way the film, that film works and the way this <laughs> film works. Oh, so, like, having romantic desire in order to be aroused is actually, like, not supposed to be masculine? The rules are so weird! <laughs> Yeah, and it's, it feels more odd because it's clearly not always been that way. Like, you think back, at least for me, like, to romantic comedies of the yesteryear, and, like, dudes like Humphrey Bogart, it, they made speeches about love and emotion, right? Even, yeah. like, they... Even though they might have been playing tough, hard guys, it was always the thing. It's like they were tough and hard, but yeah, they have like that heart. And like there, there did come a point in in our pursuit of like a pure kind of masculinity, we abandoned that. Yeah. Well, we see also like so. I personally see when Harry Met Sally is kind of like the turn in that because it's very distinctly. I think through the eighties, we still have a lot of that like very masculine portrayal in rom coms, and then Billy Crystal plays someone who goes from being a young douchebag to this actually very very like gentle man who then does like the big romantic speech and we see literally a character grow on screen out of this very toxic masculinity into a much emotionally aware character that is able to form a 
friendship with women in general, but then also importantly, his partner and sees that as not just not a hindrance, but actually like the value of their relationship is their friendship. Mm. And then we kind of see that continue through Nora Ephron's other work to a degree. We see a lot of very sensitive men, literally Sleepless in Seattle, which is a disaster of a movie. Don't rewatch it. It's not, it's bad. I love Nora Ephron, but just don't. It's terrible. But his entire feel in it is that Tom Hanks's character is like the softest boy. He's just sad and every woman in the nation is like I love this sad boy. And I, I think that's where we start to see this like subversion of the macho man stereotype in rom-coms. Also yep. just on like a few notes Super Bad actually came out the year before this which may have been part of what influenced Lance's casting. Yeah, they were going to cast a hot guy, like a traditionally hot dude, but they were like, nah, they, they like that chubby one and super bad. We got to get somebody with a little chub on him in there. We can't, you know. Yeah. I'm glad they did. Yeah, that- this launched, who the fuck plays Lance? I don't even know that dude's name, but I do know he's in Hot Tub Time Machine also and is fucking hilarious in that. Another underrated, not great, but good for all the right reasons movies. It's Clark Duke Clark is the Duke. actor. What a fucking porn name for that kid. Just seriously? Wow. Clark Duke. Hey, yeah. man, I did, yeah. you didn't need to make up a fake name to be an actor. No, that's what my parents named me. Wow, your parents must have thought you were going to fuck. Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> and they were right. Yeah, that boy can yeah. get it. Real quick, in the talk about, you know, how Harry Met Sally opened up this pathway for sensitive guys in movies, I feel like what that did for sensitive guys, the movie High Fidelity did damage for it. Because, like, mm. everyone was always... I, I love records and everyone's like oh my god you need to watch that movie oh my god you should watch high fidelity uh, it's like such a great movie like oh man i can kind of see you a little bit of you in that dude and after i watched i was like you if you see me in that dude why the fuck are you friends with me like that that movie is just like a little bitch of a whiny like if luke skywalker was in the modern era and liked vinyl that's the level of me 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 that that dude has and like he takes the sensitive intellectual type into the opposite direction towards like so unbecoming but because the movie's not yeah. well made, the lady just forgives it and falls in love with him anyways, instead of being like, damn, you're right. really fucking hard to be around <laughs> and you're not very yeah. emotionally mature. I really am curious about the butt phobia in this movie as removed from <laughs> homophobia. I think it's very interesting to look at 2008 as a moment when like people were horny as fuck, but straight people had not yet colonized the asshole. And it's very clear in this movie where it's like every time there's any mention of butt sex or like butt stuff, they're like, whoa! And like even the little brother, it's like, oh, did you put your finger in the right hole? I'm like, what is the anti-butt? prejudice happening here it butts was like are gay you know it's 2008 yeah. butts are for gay people and gay people only like that's just the end of I it guess. Right? i mean that's what i read it as where it's just like look anything involving the assholes fucking weird or gay or it falls into that like kink shamey area where like yeah. anything outside of missionary girl on top or doggy that's vaguely derogatory is right. like seen as less than anal was still seen as something that's wild and crazy and dirty and that could fall into the derogatory categories like yeah i got to fuck them in the ass you know it's that kind of thing right as opposed to like have you guys had a finger in your asshole before tongues on buttholes like i'm just saying pretty great uh <laughs> yeah i just love that this movie is like if you fuck a woman in the ass <laughs> wow are you gay like how the hell did 2008 get yeah. from point a to point b oh man yeah. remind me to tell you a story that's not probably not appropriate for y'all's podcast <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's i mean it directly relates to this but it's you know so i fuck my high school theater teacher when i was 16 this really hot 26 year old like lady 
And her whole pitch for why I should fuck her was like, because I thought I was gay at the time. She's like, well, if you're gay and you want to fuck dudes in the ass, maybe you can just find a girl who you can fuck in the ass. Isn't that like the same thing? And I was like, I don't think I could find a girl to fuck in the ass. And she's like, well, I have an ass you can fuck. And like, so her pitch for me to fuck her was like, look, you're gay and you just need a butthole to fuck. Like, that's just where people's heads were at. And that was in 2008. That was the year this movie came out, you know? People just wanted butt sex was gay. And that was... That was that. Just the end of the story. Yeah. I mean, we did elect Bush twice. I don't think there was that high level of critical thinking in the country. Oh, true. Yeah, those were the Bush years. Dark years for anal sex. Before we have to close, can we talk about the Twinks? Let's talk yeah. about the Twinks. They're my yeah. favorite. They're the cutest good too. boys. Yeah, Ava, you you tell us about the Twinks. I just love them so much. You know, they're even at the beginning, Ian is searching for any sort of help or input. He leaves that one party and they're sitting on the front porch and he's like, where do you get the confidence to like hit on people? Like, we're the shit. Yeah. And like just hawks like a fucking loogie. Hey, what's your number? Hey, what you doing? Where are you going? It turns out they've been the car that Ian has been getting in a lot of street races with and throwing like the Nacho Supreme out the window on their fucking like car. They were going to be the next people to get conned out of their sick car by Miss Tasty. And like when she's like, yeah, I want a party. They're like, wait, you actually want a party? Wait, what? Hey, boys. You finally made it. What's up, Miss Tasty? What's up? What's up? <laughs> Damn, you're hot as fuck. Yeah. We brought beers and robbers. And some lotion for your tits. Let's not a marathon. It's a sprint. Bang. Ain't chicks. Yeah. So, wait, you do want a party with us? Oh, yeah. I want us all to get naked and party. And, like, the dude just, like, slowly puts his hood up and like the guy the other dude just like rolls the window up i'm like oh like they're also performing their own little version of masculinity and running away from who they really are really every dude character in this scene besides ian seems to be running away from who they are rex is gay lance is trans and these two are probably twinks but they're all performing these horrible versions of masculinity like yeah i just think they're so cute i just love imagining them sucking each other's little dicks in their cheesy ride like having to like know they're in the car but they're trying to suck each other's dicks so they're having to do a weird arch to get over the middle that clearly has like the extra large like 36 ounce monster energies in the cup holder like yeah like the dude gets out of the car at the end like like after the bullet like goes through their windshield he gets out holding a monster energy (laughs) it's like a brilliant little piece of character acting that just like runs throughout the whole film and ends up like paying off really well first of all the finger touch thing they do is super oh, gay. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god, just and then also like the fact that they're at this party screaming out the fact that they're uncircumcised to teenage girls it's like what teenage girl would see that as a plus like <laughs> most cis women don't even see like what it's like they're clearly gay and they're like trying to like broadcast this to gay men. it's like hey I'm uncircumcised every teenage girl's like okay um well and they talk about each other's dicks very knowledgeably too yeah they do they do they're adorable and I I love them and yes uh, i just want the best for them i love doing this podcast and i love that y'all have a script and i do want to ping on one thing in the script because i can't let it pass but i just see stan to pee enthusiast question mark and then henry (laughs) wants to talk about her peeing so can we dive into that please
we didn't get to that in our little outline. One of the potential conversation topics was what's the deal with Felicia, which has a few sub points, one of which is stand to be enthusiasts. Henry, do you want to talk about Felicia peeing? Because you had strong feelings about this. I had strong feelings about it the whole movie. I was like, I hate this movie a lot, but I appreciate it much more now. But also, I think Felicia, first of all, if you have been standing to pee, my ass been standing to pee since I was five. Any fucking opportunity to practice. When Felicia gets on that, she's like, oh, I don't know. Like, absolutely not. Amateur hour. Amateur. Felicia cannot be a stand to be enthusiast if she does not know how to actually do it. Like, I would have gotten on that car five seconds, like, done. I know exactly how to stand to be on a radiator. Yeah, I don't Practice even, makes perfect. So, I don't yeah. even have a vagina, and I was like, <laughs> I could position someone with a vagina to pee into a radiator more efficiently than that. It was this weird, like, let me do, like, a crouching tiger, hidden dragon, like, kind of <laughs> yoga pose. Like, like, I just, I was up on a, like, a high ledge waiting for you to walk by, and I jumped down. I'm a superhero on one leg's out awkwardly it's like you're gonna piss on your heel yeah. well it's a very like porny pose which makes me feel like she's probably seen women peeing on the internet in porn before oh. I think. I love and then that. she's immediately photographed by a child for their like women caught peeing yeah blog. which we as we were re-watching pause to read and it starts <laughs> off hilarious and gets really dark it's like <gasps> It's, it's it's like yeah. it's like for those disgusting depraved people at home who want to see women pissing here's some oh hot God. fucking sluts but it's just like wow people who are sit at wow. home alone in their mother's basement like doing nothing but want to see girls like with thick streams like it gets like, really sad though actually just it's I do yeah. don't read that flavor text don't go back and pause and read it. It'll make you sad. Yeah. One of my favorite things, though, is like freezing frames for like obviously fake writing, like in Gossip Girl, when Dan Humphrey is writing his stories and you and it's like Chuck Bass was a good person. Like it's so either so bad or so stupid <laughs> that you're like. But yeah, also very briefly, I think we should acknowledge that this movie, especially for t- 2008, has a very creative way of visualizing the Internet that yeah. films to this day have not <laughs> quite been good at. <laughs> For real. It looked real to what the internet was at the time. And like, I remember watching it thinking like, man, I wish I could get on whatever messenger they're using. That looks cool, right? So first of all, what sort of representation does Lance feel like? Does it feel like allegorical where all the stuff going on is told through metaphor and allegory or more of like direct representation? In my mind, it's pretty direct representation. It's just that it it's a unique kind of direct representation where the character isn't even aware themselves that they're trans. It's before they reach that pivotal moment where they start doing that ex- that exploration that Lance is still kind of running away from who Lance really is. And that's why I think it's unique is that it's not like oh well there's some lines in the movie that make it seem like lands is trans it's like no there's really not it's just that it feels like if you went and followed me with a camera in 2008 or something like that right and put it into a movie form it's a very just honest literal representation of an egg in a lot of ways 
Yeah, I like that. I think definitely for like trans, I think it's more headcanon allegory, but for egg, definitely direct. Because yeah, it's interesting to think about like what the politics of that would be. Because if you were to set out to make a movie about three eggs, how would you even position that idea or create the dichotomy between like who these people are pre-coming out and who they are after without it being like horribly offensive and a crazy casting nightmare? So it is, yeah, it is interesting as like direct egg representation. What do you think, Ada? Yeah, I think it's direct. It's not really hidden. On our four-point scale, which, Ava, we have a four-point scale because we're huge nerds, goes from one, headcanon, to two, major gender stuff, three, all but explicit, and four, literally trans. Where would you put it, Ava? I'd say it's three. I'd say it's all but explicit, probably, right? Where it's, that's how it feels to me. Even though it feels explicit to me, it's never stated, so I'm going to put it at a three. Where do you put it, Henry? I'm going to give it two. I'm going to give it major gender stuff. What about you? I guess, like, part of me gets, like, very big, like, headcanon vibes from it, just because of dumb fanfiction brain immediately goes to Lance being a lesbian today in 2020, which feels very headcanon. That's my headcanon now. But as far as, like, Lance as an egg, it's definitely, like, between a two and a three, somewhere in that area. There's a lot of very explicit gender stuff going on. Yeah, like, Ava, I feel like if someone went back and somehow filmed me going about my daily life in 2008 to probably 2010, actually, in my case, is when I would have been about their age. I guess 2009. I can't do math. Very solidly like a three for being like an egg and not knowing that Lance is trans yet. But gosh, golly, is Lance going to have a very exciting 20s. Um, As someone who also owned many Paisley shirts in 2008. (laughs) I shit on the Paisley, but I fucked with Paisley so hard in the early 2000s or mid 2000s. I love a loud, a loudly patterned shirt. Yes. So, Ava, do you have any things you'd like to plug? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm bad at, about plugging shit, man. It's, it feels weird. I really don't care. But yeah, you should listen to my podcast if you want. I do a podcast called Gender Fluids. General listenership of this podcast feels a little more wholesome than ours. So we don't really <laughs> give out content warnings, but definitely just beware. The name is a bit deceiving. If you're like, oh, Gender Fluids sounds nice. Probably not. It'd be nice. But it's a fun listen if you like really nasty, dirty shit, vile stuff. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram and just like thirst after my body or whatever, you can follow me at Miss Ava Smart. There's two T's in Smart. That's S-M-A-R-T-T. Thank you for listening to this episode of Totally Trans, searching for the trans canon. We're over halfway through our first series, and next week we'll be talking about the Golden Girls episode, Ebb Tide's Revenge, which is fascinating and sad and incredibly transphobic. And honestly, I wouldn't super recommend watching it before listening to the episode, especially if you're sensitive to you people being misgendered and jokes about men in dresses. But anywho, it's on Hulu. We have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com backslash totally trans. If you back us at $3 or more per month, you can access our bonus episodes. The most recent of which is us discussing Wonder Woman 1984. Also, if you back us at $2 or more per month, you can access all of our episodes one week early. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because we live in a cyberpunk nightmare oligopoly. Join us next week when Ada will be telling me why she thinks the Golden Girls episode Ebb Tide's Revenge is totally trans. 
Totally Trans, Searching for the Trans Canon is co-hosted by me, Henry Jardina, and you can find me on Twitter at Punk Groucho. You can also find me at henryjardina.substack.com, where I write about film and masculinity. And co-hosted by me, Ada Rhodes Short. You can be found on Twitter at the Ada Rhodes. That is the underscore A-D-A underscore R-H-O-D-E-S. All quotes and audio clips are being used under fair use. And our music is royalty-free and was found on Pixabay. Until next week, keep searching. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, just like thirst after my body or whatever. Gosh, golly. I had strong feelings about it, the whole movie. I was like, I hate this movie a lot. No way. No way. My little brother's taking in the chili ring. Let's talk about the twinks. They're my yeah. favorite. They're the dumbest good boys. Yeah, Ava, you, you tell us about the twinks. I just love them so much.